Yes, and amen to more light and less heat. (laughs) Can you have one without the other, right? I uh, saw this week, uh, as Melanie and I were walking into uh, the place where we work out, there was an interesting sunset. You may have seen it. I think one of you posted a picture online on Facebook, so we've probably all seen it. But um, it looked like as the sun came through the clouds, like there were, were rays kind of wings. I don't know if we have these pictures. Uh, you can kind of see there the lighter just almost streaked through there. And it reminded me that Malachi wrote about that. He wrote about light. And for some people, it's heat. And for others, it's light. And in the middle of that, we have a decision to make about who God is and who we want to be and where we want to go. You may remember in the classic uh, book, Through the Looking Glass, that there was um, a conversation between the Cheshire cat and Alice, and Alice is troubled, and the Cheshire cat says, what do you need? And, and Alice says, well, I don't know which way to go. And the Cheshire cat says, well, it depends on where you're trying to get to. And Alice nonchalantly says, it doesn't matter. And the Cheshire cat speaks a mouthful in saying, If it doesn't matter where you're trying to get to, then it doesn't matter which way you go. But Malachi says, it matters. Would you open your Bibles with me again? Malachi chapter 3. If you, like I, thought we would be done with Malachi by now, well, I did too. Turns out Malachi's not done with us. And so we think today about direction and destiny as we give God our very best. Would you stand with me in reverence for our God and his word? Starting with verse 13, I think we left off with verse 12. And so verse 13, we pick up Malachi 3. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You've said it's futile to serve God. What do we gain? By carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty. But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. And the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise 
with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Malachi has shown us how covenant faithfulness affects our worship of God, our relationships with each other, our stewardship. Anybody try God this week? He says, can I trust you with what I've given to you? And so we try God and we find anybody else feel like the windows of heaven opened this week? I was just jogging along on random on the, the songs on my phone and four songs in a row. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Joy to the world. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, Jesus, thou joy of loving hearts. And I thought, God, are you trying to say something to me? Are you trying to fill me with joy? Today, Malachi shows us the impact of God's covenant upon our fellowship, that is, our relationships with each other. And he shows us two groups. Somebody said there are two groups, two kinds of people in the world, those who divide people into groups and those who don't. I don't know which group you're in. But pay attention to these groups, because the one group is talking bad about God. Think, think Christopher Hitchens' best-selling book, God is Not Great. I wonder when he met God, when he left MD Anderson, this is where he came for his final treatment, and that moment when he breathed his last and he stood face to face before the God who created him and sent his only son to save him, I wonder if in that moment he realized how great God really is. I think he did. The second group is a group that fears the name of God and honors him. And that group of people are treasured by God because they treasure God. And if you're picking a group, I know some of you are heading off to college this week. And if you're picking a group, go with the ones who fear God, who honor his name, who take delight in his love. Commit yourself with that group because your decision is going to lead to your direction and your direction will lead to your destiny. This is the moment of decision, not unlike Joshua looking at the people in his day and saying, choose this day whom you will serve. Not unlike Elijah on Mount Carmel saying, how long will you halt between two opinions with one foot in the service of Yahweh and one foot in the service of Baal, one foot in Christianity, one foot in the world, Christianity involves a choice. 
And we can choose, like the first group, to be the critical, cynical, complaining consumers who just don't feel like God has really come through for us. Or we can be the ones who honor his name. But know this for sure. The direction you take with the group you choose will have everything to do with your destiny for eternity. Thank you, choir, for singing about light. It turns out God's shining his light on us to show us first who we are. God's light reveals two very different directions. I would tremble to speak badly about God. Notice that God in verses 12 to 15 rebukes the company of cynics and consumers who complain. I couldn't help but think about Psalm 1 where it says, blessed is the one who does not uh, walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. We gave our fifth graders, hold them up, fifth graders, new Bibles this morning, new Bibles today. And we said, read these books. This group says, there's no profit in serving the Lord. They confuse prosperity with blessing. So they ask, what's the point in serving? You ever ask that? What's the point in serving God? My neighbor is a pagan. He's doing fine. I have struggles. The psalmist will ask that same question. Why are they healthy and I'm not? God, I'm the one who's serving you. And I just would remind you that this life is not all that there is. It also reveals something about the hearts of that first group that they think God is sort of their cosmic concierge. He's here. If, if I do something for God, he owes me. And Romans 11 makes it pretty clear in that final uh, doxology in verses 33 to 36 that whatever we do for God, we will not in any way put him in our debt because he's already given us life and eternal life and abundant life in his son. They have their own set of beatitudes. You know the beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Some of you are mourning today, and we're praying that the comfort of Christ would come upon you. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Is that you? Good news. You're going to be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons and daughters of God. Is that you? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those are the beatitudes. But in Malachi, you get the evil beatitudes. They say, blessed are, are the arrogant, the arrogant people. And you know, if you watch our world long enough, you begin to think it is those arrogant people who get ahead they're the ones who succeed in life. The ones who are all about themselves, they get what they want out of life. And Malachi says, you don't want to be in that group because they will affect your soul. Shakespeare wrote, how sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child Another writer, Scott Sorrell, has said, cynicism is like frostbite in your soul. First, it numbs you, and then it deadens you. Don't give up on God. 
Don't give up on God because God wins in the end. And they take the name of the Lord in vain, breaking that commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Or as the, the, the psalmist says, they speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. And here's the thing. It bothered the psalmist that the adversaries of God misused his name. I'm afraid our ears have become cauterized by the language in our land so that now somebody can curse the name of God and we don't even hear it. But there's another group. Thank God there's another group. So God rebukes this group, but he also reserves for himself a righteous remnant. There's a group. I don't think it's a big group there. You, you may disagree with me, but I think when we pick up in, in verse 16 and he starts talking about there's a group, the ones who fear the Lord, they start talking to each other. This and nothing less is what needs to happen. Instead of talking about what the world has come to, instead of joining in in the misery, because misery loves company, instead we say... But there is a God, and God is on his throne. And the good news about God, as he maps it out there, is that this God, when, when we ever start talking with each other, God hears that, and he honors that. It's as if he's saying God is listening into our conversation. I read an interesting, interesting story in Pete Grieg's uh, book, this week. It's, it's called How to Pray. It's a good book, a starter, a sort of uh, beginning book, a primer in prayer. And he tells about one day when he was stuck in Chicago. He's from London. He was trying to get home to London, but because of, of, uh, of Eyjafjallajökull, Yokutla, that volcano that blew up in Iceland, there was too much ash in the air, so he couldn't fly out of Chicago. And so he's stuck there in Chicago. And what do you do when you're stuck in an airport? Some of the most miserable days of my life have been stuck in airports. And he said, God, how do you want me to use this time? And he remembered he had a friend who lived about 150 miles away from him in Milwaukee. And so he just texted his friend and said, can I spend the night on your couch? And his friend said, by all means. His friend, he didn't know, had received horrible news that week. And his wife had literally said to him, moments before Pete prayed, and God brought him to mind. This man who had received terrible news about his health was talking with his wife and he was in deep despair. And his, his wife said, if you could have anybody in the world on your couch with you right now, who would it be? And he said, well, it would be Pete Grieg, but he lives in London, so he's not gonna show up. And then the text came, may I spend the night on your sofa? I'm telling you, be careful what you say because God is listening to every conversation we have. God is listening and he's looking for those people. I had a professor in seminary, Wordus Gideon, and he used to say, in every church you ever serve, there will be someone, maybe only one, maybe more, who pray and stand in the counsel of the Lord. They know what God is thinking. And he said, knit your soul to that person. 
So who are those people? Where do we find them? At our best? I think this is what our connect groups are. These are chances where the faithful who fear the Lord and honor his name can begin to speak to each other and know this for sure. We cannot talk about God behind his back. He hears what we say. And if we're honoring him and fearing his name, what God says is, I will treasure you. I, I don't know if I can do justice to the Hebrew word segula. Turns out the king owned everything in the country. I mean, anything he wanted was his. So it was kind of like another horse. Great. I've got a lot of horses. Uh, another palace. I've got other palaces. Another this, another that. He owned everything. But the Hebrew word segula is that the king, though he owned everything, he had a treasure box in his palace where he kept the things that mattered most. To him. The word's only used eight times in, in the Old Testament. Twice, it refers to David treasuring up things to build the temple for God and giving those things to his son Solomon. The other six times, anybody know? Anybody know what Segula refers to? It's God talking about his people. It comes into the New Testament. And in the New Testament, we find this word uh, is translated uh, as God's very own. Uh, so it's in that list. Remember in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen people. Church. I'm not talking to ancient Israel right now. Church, 1 Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's segula, his special possession. And he treasures you. These are two, will you agree with me, two very different directions for life. The one cynical, complaining, consumeristic, why doesn't God give me what I want? The other, God, we, tr we treasure you. We fear your name. Notice that these, these two directions lead to very distinct destinies. I don't need to spend a lot of time just simply pointing out in verse one of chapter four, he says the first group, they end up being like stubble in the fire. I could insert a joke about hell here. All I'll say to you is I don't joke about hell because people are going there. And it's not just an annihilation, but as I read it in the New Testament, it is living forever outside the presence of God. Uh, I said to somebody the other day, they said to me, are you gonna be cremated when you die? I said, I don't even like sunburns. I mean, I don't, I don't wanna be, a, you know, I don't know. And I'm not, there's no biblical uh, teaching about pro prohibiting or, or advocating, but I, I don't like to burn. I don't like to burn at all in any way at any time. And R.G. Lee preached a sermon years ago saying, there's going to be a payday someday. I have grieved with you the story of Maui. Some of you have been to Maui and the destruction there that a fire can cause and lives were lost. And the terrible story I heard yesterday, I shouldn't even report these things, but somebody said the sirens didn't go off. Well, for everybody who is trying to decide what you're going to do about God today, consider Malachi a siren. The siren is going off and he is saying, you have freedom to choose to reject God, but there are consequences for that choice. Or as one bumper sticker says, if you are living like there is no God, 
You better be right. And you're not right if you think there's no God. I remember as a teenager reading Calvin Miller's book, my brother Dan came home from college with the singer. And Calvin Miller, and I'll never forget, the part of the book I remember best, there, uh, there was a conversation between somebody and God, and this was the conversation. God, how can you be merciful and send me off to hell and lock me in forever? And God's answer, I think, is so theologically accurate. No, pilgrim, I will not send you there. But if you chose to go there, I could never lock you out. It's a choice. It's a choice. It's a decision that leads to a direction, and the direction leads to a destiny. Jesus did the same thing. You say, oh, it's the Old Testament, Pastor. No, in the New Testament, Jesus talks a great deal about hell, and he distinguishes, and there's two ways. There's a wide road that leads to destruction, and there's a narrow road that leads to life. May I ask you on behalf of God Almighty today, which road are you on? Because the road you're on is going somewhere. And I want you, I plead with you on the basis of Christ's death on the cross, enter through the narrow gate and find life. And the good news is, as he describes this son, is that for some, the son brings destruction. But I've studied this. For some, the son brings healing, those it looked like, when I looked up at that first picture there that I showed you at the beginning of the sermon, it looked like there were wings coming off of the sun. And listen to what Malachi says for the second group, the group, group that God treasures because they treasure God and fear his name and honor him and serve him. They are God's people. And he says, for them, the sun will rise, the sun of righteousness and it will have healing in its wings. Years ago when I was in the cattle business for about a minute <laughs> with my daughter who was in FFA and Maylee, her great cow was great with, with calf and we were waiting and we were asking the FFA teachers, do we need to leave her in the stall because we don't want the other cows to bother her when she's giving birth and we don't know when she's gonna give birth and, and, and we called we called our rancher um, and said to him, what do you say? And he said, oh, I think I would have her out in the field where the sun is, letting it decontaminate the ground where the baby will be born. And then unexpectedly on a work day, Maylee went into, the cows go into labor, I don't know. But anyway, she, we could tell the baby was about to come. And I, what do I know about delivering babies? So I called my friend Bob Falke and I said, we got a baby on the way. And he was shopping for appliances with his wife and Darlene's so sweet. She let him go to come and save the life of our calf. And so he came and literally she was having trouble and he literally delivered that calf out onto the ground. And I remember for a second, the calf wasn't moving and we were like, oh no. Is the calf alive or not? And the mother's, you know, mainly she's trying to get the, and then the calf starts to move. Confession on a Sunday, that was a Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning. I drove down Britmore because I wanted to see if the calf was okay. It wasn't quite as exciting as when my two sons were born. <laughs> Certainly not as exciting as our gotcha day when we adopted Casey because we wouldn't even have had a cow if we didn't have Casey. But I'm telling you, on my way to church, 
It wasn't more important than what I do with you. I'm just telling you. But I had to see for myself. And I drive down Britmore and I turn around and I look out in the field and there is Maylee with the sun shining down. And this calf literally is skipping. It's skipping around the pasture. And I thought, why is that calf so happy? Well, it's good to be alive. And if you want a picture of what happens to those people who honor the name of God, here it is. We live. We live here and we live forever. And this is why we choose to follow Christ because we take him at his word and he gives us life. And John Wesley, I don't know what John Wesley would think today, but John Wesley who established a church years ago said, give me a hundred men. I would say a hundred people. Give me a hundred people who love God with all their hearts and fear nothing but sin and I will change the world. Give me a church where we love God with all that we are and still call sin, sin. And as crazy as this world is, we will change it in Jesus' name. We'll not only receive the light, but we'll reflect the light. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the life we have found in Jesus. We pray that you will help us to live as vessels of light this week, as vessels of honor. We have turned from sin. We are turning to you. In this holy moment, I pray, Lord, every heart would be still before you so that you can tell us what you want us to do. And when you show us what to do, I pray that you'll give us the courage to do it. In Jesus' name. Amen.